0: Welcome to the broadcast. Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition.
1: Farm living is the life for me.
0: Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the outdoor living hour, the fourth Saturday of the month. So we're talking urban farming with farmer Greg and he's brought us a lot of great uh, vocabulary over the years. Uh, and he he's bringing a new one in today. Greg, I don't think I've ever heard somebody describe it as bodacious gardening.
1: Bodacious garden. Well, that was something Janice came up with. Um, but bodacious in my world means big and awesome and outrageous and like that. And really the biggest thing we have to learn uh, for creating a bodacious garden is garden placement, and then number two is soil. So, you know, we're going to talk about that today.
0: Well, we're looking forward to it, and if you have questions, you can text in at 411-923, or you can email us at info at If you need a little help with plant or insect identification, you can send pictures there, and we'll do uh, everything we can to get you the best and most accurate information to help you get started on your uh, own urban
1: farm nice and so let's just jump in and talk about uh solar aspect and if you've listened to the show for a long time you know that this is an important piece and it's really the direction that your garden faces and there's four solar aspects north south east and west and i like to call the west the fry zone <laughs> and the, right and the north is the freeze zone and here's why Um, when and actually here's how to determine what space you're growing into Uh, if you're stand if you have a wall that's facing west so you're standing with your back against a west wall and you're looking west a west facing wall and you're looking west that's what we call a western exposure that's going to be the hottest part of your space now That's not necessarily a bad thing. It could very well be a good thing for a uh, winter garden. I used to have a garden at the Calico Cow down on Central in Dunlap when it was down there a decade and a half ago. And we had a garden that was on a Western exposure there. So it was very hot in the summertime and very warm in the winter. And Susan used to grow pretty much everything From October 1st to May 1st, she'd have tomatoes in December just because it was a Western exposure and it was such a warm space in the winter. So you just have to pay attention to that. If you do have a Western exposure and, uh, you know, you want to grow something in the summer, you have to figure out some kind of shade.
0: And generally in Arizona, we don't think about those things. Uh, but these last couple of weeks have been pretty chilly. We've had some good frost. Uh, I've had uh, ice in the horse troughs frozen. I mean, it's not solid through, just little layers on top. But right. you know, it's, it's been a couple of years since I've seen ice in the horse troughs. We're, we're back to one of a, 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 a little freeze cycle here. And hopefully we get a couple more good deep overnight freezes and end up with a very light insect season.
1: Right, so when it gets cold like that in the winter, it does several things for us. Getting rid of insects is number one, which is really good. The second thing it does is if you have deciduous fruit trees, that's your apples, peaches, apricots, plums, pomegranates, figs, those trees, they require chill hours in order to set fruit. And so the more cold that we get in the winter, the better your crops going to be as well. So
0: and even if we get the amount of required chill hours and non-frost seasons, it's just something about all those extra hours. It just, you know, you, you might need 300 hours to produce, but if you get 500, your production is going to be a lot better.
1: Yeah. Amen to that. I so, felt like a deciduous fruit tree all week. Let's put it that way. <laughs> it, was, right. it was cold. I man. I hit freezing at my place. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so that's a Western exposure. Western exposures get sun from noon until sundown. In the winter, a great place to grow a garden. In the summer, probably not so great. Now, what you can do on the west side of a western exposure is put a fruit tree, put a mesquite tree, put some kind of shade there that you plant, and and when I talk about shading, I have paid for shade, that's where you put up a structure, or you have grown shade, and that's where you can, you know, think about what kind of mesquite or Palo Verde could you actually plant? And by the way, both mesquites and Palo Verdes, and for that matter, ironwoods, are all edible.
0: And if you've not heard those uh, broadcasts before that we've had with Farmer Greg in the summertime, they've got the mesquite grill that you can bring your beans by and they'll grind them up, turn them into flour. Uh, yep. there's, there's mesquite pancake breakfast that different uh, outdoor organizations put on. I, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but um, that that's becoming a very well-known tool, right. mesquite flour.
1: And mesquite flour is so tasty. Heidi uses it uh, instead of sugar in her uh, baking because it's so sweet. So that's a Western exposure. A Southern exposure gets sun all day long. So, so I, if you have – And before go you
0: go on, I guess the the point there is native – you know, in the past, there, there's been edibles and then there's been the native landscape. We're, we're putting those two together. You know, yeah. the, there's been a disconnect the last couple of years. You know, the pilgrims, the pioneers, the Indians, they all used them as edible, but we hadn't been. And kind of coming back to native landscapes are also edibles in a lot of cases.
1: If yeah, you don't Yeah, eat exactly. Oh. <laughs> there's, there's a book called Edibles of the Sonoran Southwest – Um, I'm drawing a blank on the woman's name. She was a professor at the U of A, and she wrote a book on all the edibles. And it goes on and on and on. There are so many things to eat in the desert. We just need to start paying attention. And that's what we're we're here for. Prickly pears. I've I've harvested prickly pears literally since grade school. And you all know that I moved to North Carolina, and on one of the roads that I drive here, near my house, there's actually a producing prickly pear <laughs> in Asheville. It's pretty cool.
0: Did you plant it? Is it?
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. But I'm going to go swipe some of the pads and I'm going to uh, root them out for sure.
0: I never would have thought a prickly
1: pear in North Carolina. Very good. <laughs> I, neither would I. That's for sure. All right, great, so that's the western exposure. Now let's talk about southern exposure. Southern exposure gets sun all day. So it can be a warmer space to grow. The nice thing about a southern exposure in the summertime is with the right shading in the afternoon, a southern exposure can get shade. Because the sun sets on June 21st in the uh, northwest, quadrant of your backyard front yard so if you have a southern exposure often that sun will set behind a house or a structure or a tree and shade your southern exposed garden so that's that's one way to look at it and then you want to also pay attention to any shade that you might need to plant or grow on your southern side now the eastern exposure gets sun from sun up until noon. And again, if you're standing against a wall looking east, that is eastern exposure. And it's really the best place to grow a garden. If you have a an eastern exposure, you're gonna, your garden's going to be golden. And then the northern exposure. Northern exposure is on the north side of a structure, on the north side of trees, on the north side of your barn, Uh, And it's going to get virtually no sun all year round. It's the hardest place to grow. If you do have a northern exposure garden, and remember, your back is standing against a wall if you're looking north. That's a northern exposure. If you have a northern exposed garden, grow things that are leafy. So herbs, things that don't make a fruit. So no tomatoes, and, I'm, and I should say, shouldn't say no tomatoes, but it's going to be harder to grow things that make a fruit on that side. And I'm always up for experimenting because, you know, magic happens in our garden, so. <laughs> Don't know till you try. Exactly, exactly. You know, and I've said this for years that gardening is one great big grand experiment. I can share with you what I've discovered over the past 47 years of growing in the desert and then you have to take what you take from that and make your own experience, make your own garden, see what works for you.
0: I like that your own your own experience, and that is gardening. It is a, a daily experience, and it doesn't have yeah. to be. You know, the the setup and the infrastructure is always key. Right, having the right water, like you said, the right shade, uh, and then the right protection. You know, protection against. Uh, Insect pests, four-legged pests, two-legged,
1: two-winged pests. So let's, let's talk about the right protection. So let's talk about the protection from frost. At the urban farm where I lived at for 32 years, I never planted anything that needed frost protection. I had 40 or so citrus trees on the property and they didn't need frost once they were established they didn't need frost protection and i didn't grow tomatoes in the winter because i'd need to cover them for with with frost cloth and so i always planned my garden so i didn't need to do the uh, you know the frost cloth and it worked really well and once your garden gets into a system gets into a flow And they replant themselves every year. You know, you let things go to seed and the tomatoes come back. Those things know, the basil and the oregano and the kale and all these things know when to come up so that you actually don't have to worry about covering your garden in the wintertime.
0: And we're talking urban farming with Farmer Greg here at Rosie on The House. Stay tuned. More to follow. Continuing our conversation with Farmer Greg during the break, we spent a few minutes looking around. You had mentioned a book, and I knew had mentioned a female author about Southwest plants. It was a male? So I'm like, okay, but we finally found
1: it. "Hood Plants of the Sonoran Desert" by Wendy Hodgson, H-O-D-G-S-O-N. Um, I'm pretty sure. I think I said U of A. Her dad was a professor at U of A. I'm pretty sure she was a professor at ASU.
0: Okay. So both had a lot to contribute to uh, yes. the agricultural side of the universities. So we'll have that link up in today's podcast archive page uh, so you can find it there if you're interested like Greg said, it's not the cheapest book you'll find. It's uh, you know around 50 bucks but uh, you know, it's on the, the grand best. scheme of things, well, if it's the best and 40 50 bucks for that kind of education is pretty cheap in my mind.
1: Amen to that. All right, so bodacious garden, making sure you place it in the right place in your yard. Number two, and you mentioned it earlier, is about water. How are you going to make sure that you have water for your garden? And if you're just counting on it, the hose to water your garden, Uh, you might want to think twice. Although if you're, you know, in the garden every day and watching it and, and can sprinkle with a hose, that's great. Um, I happen to love something called drip tape irrigation. And we actually give classes on that through Urban Farm, uh, our online portal, Urban Farm U. And it's a revolutionary, in my words, a uh, system of watering your garden that uh, evenly waters the entire garden. So when you have drip irrigation, the drip emitters at the beginning of the system water the garden more and at the end of the system water the garden less so the end of your garden is getting less water with a drip tape irrigation system the whole system has to pressurize before it waters and then it waters evenly and it's the it's innovative in that any of the salts that build up in the drip irrigation or the drip tape irrigation gets flushed out. So um, we do quarterly, we do a class on drip tape irrigation. You guys can email me and uh, if you're interested in taking that, but that's the best way to get your garden watered. And then the next part of it is where's your water coming from? Because most people just think they have one source of water, city water. And I'd like for you to pay attention to your space and see what other places you can actually come up with water. At the urban farm, we had flood irrigation. I purposely in 1989 bought a property with flood irrigation because I grew up with it and I knew how valuable it was. So that was way number two to water our garden.
0: And you have to find those specific neighborhoods. It's not like exactly. you can retrofit uh, a home that doesn't have flood irrigation to have it uh, right. provided by, you know. A, As far as I know, the only for residential SRP districts are the only ones that have that. So you would have to go out and seek those districts and those neighborhoods. And what was it like once every two weeks they come and they flood your yard?
1: Yep. Yeah, it's uh, two weeks on uh, in the warm season. And then in uh, like November, December, January, February, it's once a month, which is plenty for water, watering your trees, and then you always
0: have your hose, and you know, to use if you need to supplement in between those
1: exactly. big floods. So you got city water. I had flood irrigation. Um, I always used gray water. Now gray water is any water that goes down any drain in your house except your toilets and your kitchen sink, and it is legal in the state of Arizona. To use gray water in your landscape. If you have a municipality telling you that's not the case, tell them BS, <laughs> and and um, email me, and I can get you you know I can get you the data or just type in uh, gray water usage in Arizona and it'll come right up. And one of the things that I did at the Urban Farm was I actually moved some of the facilities outside, so we moved. Uh, a sink outdoors for you know rinsing vegetables and hands and that kind of stuff and uh, then I moved uh, a shower outdoors so that's one of the ways that I handled it Um, then
0: as somebody has an outdoor shower I don't know how I would ever live without one when you come in you know dirty your clothes are dirty every I mean you, you can just strip right there rinse off and then go inside you're not tracking you don't have to have this mud room to lay you know slough everything off with and yeah you can do it all outside keeps the house a lot
1: cleaner excellent absolutely and then just let
0: it run right into uh
1: your landscape. tree
0: base yeah
1: yeah right into your landscape exactly and there's um you know i'm really going to encourage your listeners to really think about where water comes from because you know rainwater harvesting is a no-brainer in the desert and people say well we don't get very much water it's like yeah that's the whole point the whole point is we only get seven and a half inches a year use it as best as you can and we've
0: got a lot this year so far uh this we've had a very wet winter so there's mm-hmm. a lot that you can really uh, utilize I mean we were talking last week with Jay's like if your sprinklers are on for your lawn you know I mean, oh he' he't he say of it year. but I felt like you wanted to slap them with a wet fish
1: <laughs> yeah turn off your sprinklers this time of year for your lawn they don't need it Or at least you know every two weeks or once a month, but yeah. Plus, yeah. Well, that's a whole (laughs) that's a whole rabbit hole to go down. Let's not go there. And then, so the other place that provides a lot of water, you'd be really surprised. Okay. And I'm
0: gonna I'm gonna use that as a cliffhanger because we can do a lot, but we can't stop the clock. You hear the music? That means we gotta hit this break for bottom of the hour news. We'll be back. Welcome back to Rosie on the House, fourth Saturday of the month. How did we already get here? We're talking bodacious gardening with Farmer Greg. And if you're with us before the news break, you're, you're still on the edge of your seat wanting to know that additional source of water. We talked about city water, if you're in the right uh, neighborhood, flood irrigation, talked about rainwater harvesting that uh, we could talk about more, but we also have a great hour with Greg and the author of the rainwater harvesting book from the desert southwest out of Tucson will put a yep. link in today's podcast to that podcast if you want to go listen to it further cuz it's it's just a fascinating and fun hour on rainwater harvesting we talked about gray water and you're about to mention another source of water and i've been sitting here through the break and other than spit greg i'm i'm kind of drawing a blank <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know that pipe that hangs off the corner of your house that drip drip, oh, drip you got me with that drip. one It's the condensation coming off of your air conditioning unit. And put a bucket underneath it, and you will be shocked during the summer, during the humid time of the year, how much water comes off of that. Gallons can come off of that. So collect it and use it. We're the desert. We've got to have all that water, you know, get a hold of that water.
0: And collect and use is a good way to put it. I wouldn't hook up a lot of additional piping to it to try and create some kind of elaborate system you need to be able to see water coming out of there to ensure your air conditioning is working properly Yep. if you put additional pipes and try and do some elaborate watering system there's no No. way to know and if that water ever got backed up what happens is it fills up that entire line and then wherever your air conditioning unit is especially if it's in the attic and it starts pouring over now uh, there is the a vacuum collapse. Yeah, there is a backup line that should prevent that from happening, but if the backup line's plugged as well, so don't don't add any extra just like Greg said, put a bucket oh, yeah. underneath it and then if you wanted to drill into the bucket with some pipes, you could do it that way, but don't directly attach anything to the end of that condensation line. I can't believe I well, didn't think of that one.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, yeah, the whole notion of water harvesting whether we're harvesting condensate, rainwater, gray water, there's harvesting stormwater. Stormwater is the water that runs by your house on your street. Um, really, what we want to do is we don't want to hold on to any of that, especially gray water. You don't want to put gray water in a tank and hold on to it because it comes very stinky and black water very quickly. You want to put your le- put the pipes out into your landscape so that the water goes directly into the landscape and waters things around where you're, you know, where the water is coming to.
0: Nature will purify anything that's in the gray water, filter it out. Yeah. Water will get to the roots and exactly take care of itself. All right, great.
1: So we talked about placement of your garden. We talked about getting your water, your garden watered, uh, soil. And if you all have listened to the show before, (laughs) you know, I preach... I get on my pulpit about healthy soil. Our desert soil has less than 1% organic matter. Trying to grow something in desert soil, yeah, good luck with that. (laughs) It's virtually impossible. Now, there are five components of healthy soil. Remember them?
0: Ah, the things that live in it. Yeah, uh, everything that's alive.
1: Everything that's alive. Uh, dirt is part of it. Dirt, yeah, right. The air. dirt has the dirt has minerals in it. But if all you have is dirt, good luck growing things. So then you said air, organic matter, organic organic matter. matter. Okay. Hold on here. Dirt, airspace, compost. water, organic matter, and everything that's alive in the soil. Yeah, and the organic matter could be woody mulch around the basins of your trees. It can be compost. Uh, It can be planting mix, but adding lots and lots of organic matter to your garden beds is going to be of utmost importance because along with that organic matter comes soil life and adding soil life. You don't really have to do that. It just shows up if you add the organic matter. So, if you ha- so let's say you have a garden bed. In fact, I was just talking to a lady yesterday. She's got a garden bed that's uh, four foot by eight foot, and it's two feet tall. She said, "What do I do here, Greg? Do I just fill it with dirt from my yard?" It's <laughs> like, yeah, no, if that you're won't work. Building a cat litter box, <laughs> right? Exactly. So, <laughs> what I coach people to do again four foot by eight foot, a rectangle, and two feet tall and if you have that garden bed what i teach people to do is put a foot of woody mulch in the bottom of the garden bed and people kind of go especially if they're somewhat into gardening it's like hold on that doesn't work here's why it works there's something called out there called hugel culture it's a it's a german term h u g e l k u l t u r e i think is how you spell it and what it what you do in culture is you actually bury logs in the ground. And those logs, as they break down, bring in soil life in the form of mushrooms and mycorrhiza and that kind of stuff. And it super energizes. So if you have just dirt and you put a bunch of woody mulch on top of it, or a log in the ground underneath it over the course of the next three to five years, that stuff breaks down and makes mind-blowingly wonderful soil. So, I like,
0: I never thought about that log, but you know, if you've ever been out in the desert or the woods, you know, in the ponderosas and you tried to start a fire, you know, don't pick up the wood that's kind of got dirt around it because it's, you know, it's a pain to start and it's
1: already decomposing. It's already decomposing, exactly. So, you have your four by eight garden bed, you put a foot of woody mulch in the bottom of it, and then cover it with a foot of some kind of raised bed planting mix and i love the product that our buddies over at arizona worm farm puts out uh go go see zach and the crew over at arizona worm farm they were on the podcast last year at some point i think it was actually this summer it was july or august
0: july or august that was a lot of fun
1: so half half of it full of woody mulch and half of it full of Uh, raised bed planting mix and then plant your garden. And then what happens over the course of the next six months to a year is that that 12 inches of woody mulch in the bottom breaks down, brings in soil life and creates an amazing um, undercarriage, under space for your garden bed. And then you'll, you know, at the end of the season, you'll have to add another six inches of planting mix on top, but that's going for uh, success on your garden. Absolutely. If you have a backyard, I just had somebody ping me on Facebook the other day with a picture of their front yard. It was dirt. (laughs) If you have a dirt yard, cover it with 12 inches of woody mulch. And there's a place online. It's called chipdrop.com. Go to chipdrop.com and they will deliver woody mulch to you for free. Um, What they do is
0: if you don't live too rural. I've been on that waiting list for like four years now. <laughs> yeah. So
1: it depends, it depends on how rural you live. <laughs> it depends on how rural you live. I actually got a chip drop here in, in rural Asheville a couple of months ago, nice. so it happens. Um, but the woody mulch, basically they're coordinating you with a tree service. And the tree service has to pay to dump it or they can dump it in your yard. The thing is you'll get about 20 cubic yards, which is a lot. And well, it may seem like a lot. It's not necessarily a lot when you start using it, but that woody mulch breaks down at the interface between the dirt and the woody mulch. It starts making this amazing soil. And again, your job as a grower, hands down, the biggest thing you need to do is make healthy soil. So when we uh, coach people to, we're just finishing up our fruit tree program today at, for the year. And when I coach people to plant their fruit trees, what I coach them to do is you you dig a square hole, two foot by two foot and a foot deep. You take 40% of the dirt from the hole, put it in a wheelbarrow and you add two bags of planting mix and mix all that up. And then you add azomite, which is a micronutrient, uh, worm castings which has micronutrients and life in it and mycorrhiza mix all that up and then you plant your tree so that we're giving the tree and and your garden for that matter the biggest limb up we can give it and you know building healthy soil is the single most important I can't say that enough I'm passionate about that build healthy soil
0: and then the plants and the trees and the seeds, they just kind of take care of themselves with the
1: uh, introduction of water as needed. They do. They do. And here's the other thing we talked about pests earlier, the healthier a plant, just like the healthier we are, we're going to be more resilient when it comes to disease, right? So the healthier your plants are. So if you're building healthy soil around them, you're uh, foliar feeding, your plant, uh, fertilizing your plants and trees regularly they're going to be stronger and be able to hold up against any disease or pest pressure that shows up so the the healthier the soil the healthier the plants that's a
0: great analogy and And the funny thing is you need you know some of the things seem counterproductive because you need the funguses and you need the mm -hmm. uh you know bacterias you know there's bad of those but there's so many more good ones than there are bad you need all those things to help build that plant immune system
1: a vast majority of the bugs and funguses and mushrooms and all that kind of stuff out like 90 plus percent of those are good if you have mushrooms growing in your yard you're doing something right that's a good thing i you know occasionally will somebody will send me a picture or call me and say oh my god i got these mushrooms growing in the yard what do i do how do i kill it it's like no don't kill it that's the soil life that's what you're after now are those edible mushrooms some of them are but i don't know how to do that and i highly suggest you never Never eat a mushroom because they can kill you. Never eat a mushroom unless you are absolutely one hundred percent sure what it is. Okay.
0: And the only reason I ask, we've got some mushrooms that come up on the back side of our horse stall that, you know, mm-hmm. where the manure is hard to pick up, and it's coming out. And we were contemplating, and I, I was the same way. I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not willing to try and risk it. But I also take them out to make sure the horses don't eat them either.
1: Right. Yeah. And not there is there is a mushroom. There's a mushroom foraging club in the Phoenix metropolitan area. I think on Facebook, but check it out if you're interested in mushrooms. I
0: will find it. I used to know a guy on that club, and they would—I mean, there would be certain times a year they'd watch rain cycles, and then it was time yep. to go look. But he's—he's he's since moved to Colorado. Uh, but there is—we'll find—we'll find that link. I'm sure there can't be a, a, too many uh, other—you know—mushroom. M- Club. I can't imagine there's more than one or two of those. That should be pretty easy yeah. to find.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, building healthy soil. Build healthy soil. Build healthy soil. Are you saying? Do you of me need to say it again? Yet? Build healthy <laughs> soil.
0: <laughs> and we're going to talk uh, in this last one about uh, some things that can help you build healthy soil with, with the yep. adoption of, uh, you know, and, and animal life. So we'll. Wrap that up here with Farmer Greg in our bodacious gardening hour. All right, uh, just give a few minutes a Google during a news break, and you can fire commercial break. You can find anything. It is the arizonamushroomsociety.org. dot org. There you go. There you go.
1: There you go. Join
0: up and go mushroom hunting. All right. Well, so let's talk about. Uh, you know, adding adding some workers to the yard to help right. build that soil, and well, it
1: could and it's multiple kinds of workers, not just the kind you're thinking about.
0: Well, and the reason I'm thinking about it is, uh, you know, with, with eggs being worth their weight in gold right now, adding those Holy chickens my. could right? could be twofold not only for your soil, but you know, a little cheaper. It, it, it used to be, um, you know, we always had chickens for fun, and we had the eggs and. when we really put pen to paper, it's like, yeah, these are costing us more than we could buy in the store. That's (laughs) not not anymore. anymore. (laughs) Who who would have figured that?
1: (laughs) And I think it's going to get worse before it gets better price-wise. Yeah, I talked to, I recently talked to uh, Clint Hickman about it. Just I touched base with him to see how he was doing. They're doing fine. They had a little bit of a um, uh, backup in, Uh, with uh, bird flu in one of their farms, but they're doing great. But I think that, I think we're going to see higher egg prices before it's all said and done. So get good hens in your yard. But here's the thing. If you get hens, it's a process. Um, We have a book that there's books out there. We have our book called Foul Play. You can always email me, greg at urbanfarm.org, and I can uh, get you a copy of that. Uh, But chickens take work. Uh, And they're workers. You kind of inferred that they help us with our gardens. They do. Uh, A permaculture chicken uh, is, they obviously make eggs. You can also grow permaculture chickens for meat. I have done that in the past. I don't do it anymore. Uh, But permaculture chickens are foragers. They go out in your garden and they eat bugs and they eat weeds. And when they're in your garden, they poop. So they're leaving fertilizer behind. Um, And they're great diggers, so they're tilling the soil. So there's these chickens uh, are helping you in your garden. So uh, absolutely get them and know that you need to build a predator-proof coop in Phoenix. The urban farm used to be, uh, where I lived, was at 16th Street in Glendale, right in the middle of Phoenix. And about six, seven years ago, we had a bobcat come into our chicken coop and kill 10 of our hens so if you're going to raise chickens in the valley two things you need to know you need to build a predator-proof coop actually anywhere in the state of arizona you need a (laughs) predator-proof coop and if you're in the low desert they need some kind of cooling system in the summertime you absolutely need an an evaporative cooler or misters um so lots uh, of shade yeah a lot and lots and lots of shade my chickens used to live underneath my uh Pakistani mulberry tree and the Pakistani mulberry gives me 3-inch uh, long mulberries. Mm. It, so it's that,
0: funny it's not a Pakistan mulberry but our our chicken coop is shaded by our mulberry. <laughs> yeah. Those are those are yeah, great exactly. great shoot shade producers and and right now there's no leaves on it so it's nice and warm during the day for them.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. So let's talk about something else that that is kind of odd to have in your garden that is really beneficial for your garden and that is um that is weeds i tell people let weeds grow in your garden and they're like what are you talking about weeds are pioneer species they show up first and they um do the heavy digging and they're mining nutrients out of the soil so what i do with weeds is i cut them off right below the soil line I leave the root in the ground, and I'm, talk- I'm not talking Bermuda grass or nut grass, I'm talking mm-hmm. about mallow, cheese weed, about um, uh, lamb's quarters. You just cut them below- right below the ground, you're cutting off the growing point, so now you have a nutrient-dense treat for your chickens or your compost pile, and that root in the ground rots and puts compost right in your soil. It's building your soil for you. And that
0: mallow, the cheeseweed, I don't know any animal that won't eat it. I mean, you throw it in the horse pens, they'll eat it, you throw it. In. Yep. Uh, we've got areas that uh, we'll turn the cattle out when it gets, we'll let it grow. You know, that's, in our mind, you know, free, free feed there for a week or two to let them go graze on that. And it's, hey, we don't have to buy an import.
1: Right. Well, I've And it's edible for us. We can eat it. I've eaten lamb's quarters and mallow before. No problem.
0: You know, the way I, and um, Jess, it was a little more secondhand. I let the cow eat it, and then I eat the cow.
1: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Gotta love it. Sounds like stacking functions to me. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh, Gary. Ding, I am ding, so ding. impressed. <laughs> I am so impressed. Stacking functions is something we talk about in permaculture, where you you have one asset, like a chicken, do multiple things for you. Awesome. Awesome Gary. comes in Thanks with the them. zinger
0: at the end yeah do a crossword <laughs> puzzle every morning. I know that one. Oh that would That's be right. fun. We need to put together an urban farm crossword puzzle. That's a great of idea. Gary Gary uh, farmer Gregisms
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I, yes actually and Janice put together one of those word find puzzles for our fruit tree program. Oh, okay so. well there you
0: go. well we'll have to get Janice on that one then uh, there's so, a go ahead.
1: I was going to say a couple of things, plantingcalendar.org is for your planting calendar uh, for the Desert Southwest. If you want to know more about building healthy soil, healthysoilhacked.com is one of my websites and you can download some videos and like that on building soil. Excellent. Well, that was fun. I like
0: the uh, bodacious garden aspect that uh, you put to it today if you're following along in the home maintenance calendar. We look forward to having Greg back in February. We will be talking about Build an Edible Landscape. So right. that will be the fourth oh, Saturday fun one. in February. Have a great, yeah. uh, great winter season there in North Carolina, and we'll talk to you here in about a month, Greg. Thanks.